Hi, family. Happy Wednesday, and thank you so much for joining us for our midweek service tonight. I am looking so forward to Keith O'Connor coming and preaching this evening. He has a really good word to bring tonight. He's going to be speaking on the subject of purity, so you might want to get your phone or your iPad or whatever you're using, and um, you can download the app if you haven't already, and you can follow along with Keith. If you'll just go to the bottom of the app where it says Sermons, you click on that, go to Midweek uh, Messages, and you can click, and I think Keith will be the very first message to come up there uh, this evening. And you can follow along and fill in the notes, and I hope that's going to be a help to you as you grow in your discipleship and your walk with Christ. The Scripture says in the book of Titus, chapter 1 and verse 15, now Paul's writing to a young pastor, a young preacher, a young preacher like yourself, Keith, and he's He's writing and saying, everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. And I love that passage. I have leaned into that since I was a young man. And my prayer has always been what David prayed. Lord, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, a heart that longs and thirsts after you. And tonight I think you're going to benefit and you're going to, you're going to grow. You're going to be strengthened and encouraged in your faith as you follow along and read the scriptures and reflect with Keith as he preaches the word tonight. Before we ask Keith to come up and preach, though, if you haven't yet, would you please be sure and uh, give your tithes or bring your missions offerings? Today I was reviewing some of our missions giving, and I'm just so thankful for what God is doing through our church. I'm so thankful for faithful people. Keith, I remember a number of years ago when you and I sat down at a restaurant together and we talked about the blessing and the joy of tithing and how that God blesses His people. Listen, friend, you can't afford not to tithe. When you put God first, God opens up the windows of heaven upon you in so many more ways than just financial. God opens up the very windows of heaven and blesses your life as you put him first and as you're generous because the more you give, it just somehow or another, I don't know how God does it, but the scripture says that he will cause his generosity to abound to you and to me where we can do even more. And person after person, man after man, woman after woman, have come and shared with me. Even this last week, someone came and shared with me how that God just gave them a 17% pay increase as they have put God first. Can you imagine what a great blessing that was? So, tonight, just go online or you can click at uh, woodland.church, click give or text 77977 to Woodland Church. That's one word. No space in between Woodland and Church. Or you can mail a check right here to 24101 Van Horn Road and uh, Brownstown, Michigan to Woodland Church. Well, let's pray together this evening. Father, we love you. We thank you for your amazing grace to us. We thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for us. And God, for taking out that old heart, that old heart of bitterness, that old heart of unforgiveness, resentment, greed, whatever it was, Lord, that bound us up in our trespasses and sin. And Jesus, when you died for us and you rose again, you gave us the gift of new life as we put our faith in you. Now, as Keith comes to preach the message in the word of the Lord tonight, I'm asking you to grant him favor and freedom in the spirit as he preaches tonight in Christ's name. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Welcome, Keith, as he comes tonight. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It's good to be here with you and reading and studying God's Word together. If you've been watching the news in the last several years, you'll see that we live in a culture today 
where part of our society is obsessed with impurity and uncleanness. And I do remember a time when these impure things that are called pure now were seen as morally wrong in our culture. But today, the impurity is being paraded around blatantly. It's as if they're trying to make a big deal about it and they're trying to make the impure living a normal thing. It's very hard to sit down and watch television shows and on the regular TV channels without having to have your finger on the button to fast forward it or to change the channel. And I remember when the only places that you could view what we see on normal TV now was you had to pay for it on HBO or Cinemax. There's been several times that I know that Christy and I have been watching television with our children and we have to either watch it beforehand, a TV show or something, just to make sure that it's a good show for our kids to watch with us, or we have to stand there with a finger on the remote to try to fast forward to change the channels really quick. But we also have that in the music that we have today. And so we as parents need to make sure that our children are listening to music and watching television shows that will lift them up and not bring them down. It'd be great if we as Christians were immune to this, but the sad fact is we're not. And we've seen many people in the church fall into temptation and sin. And so when I look at all of this around us in this world, it makes me ask the question, can we as believers in Christ be pure in a polluted world? Can we live pure lives in an impure world? I believe we can. But as we know, it's not a very easy task. And it all starts with us knowing our weaknesses and knowing where we're vulnerable when the enemy attacks. And it also takes us standing firmly on God's word. While you're sitting there today, what do you think of when you hear the word pure? What comes to your mind? There's several things that I think of when I think of pure. I think of pure water. We spend a lot of money purifying our water. We have little gadgets that we put on our sink so that we can have that purified water. They sell the purified water bottles at the store. I also think about pure sugar or the phrase as pure as the driven snow. And then I also think of what many people think about is pure gold. And so when I started thinking to myself about that, since pure gold is so valuable to some people, I started thinking about what makes something pure gold that people will go out and spend a lot of money on stuff. They spend money on pure gold necklaces and rings and bracelets, and they're all made out of pure gold. And then I also found out that there's different levels of gold, which are called carrots. And it's not the carrots that the rabbits eat, but it's spelled with a K. And so there's 10 carrots, and there's 14 carrots, And then there's 24 carats. And the other thing that I found out was that the more carats you have, the less money you will have at the end of your shopping trip to the jewelry store. The other thing I learned, which I should have known already since my wife Christy worked for a jewelry store, is that the carats had to do with the purity of the gold. The higher the carats, the more pure that gold is, and the more happy your wife is. Here's a couple other interesting facts. 
We all know we've been to weddings and we see the bride wearing white on her wedding day. And she wears white on her wedding day because it's a symbol of purity and virtue. Also, when we go to the hospital or to see our doctors, we see many doctors, nurses, and a lot of medical professionals, and they wear the white coats. And they wear these white coats because it's a symbol of purity and cleanliness. It reminds me of a story that I read about, about a distinguished pastor of a church in New York City. His name is Dr. Maltby Babcock. And so Dr. Babcock was approached by a physician who also happened to be a member of his congregation. And his doctor was concerned about his health. So the doctor handed Dr. Babcock some theater tickets. And he said, take these. You're going to need some recreation to go to this play. So the pastor looked at the tickets. And seeing that the tickets were tickets to a play of the kind that he could not consciously attend, he said kindly, thank you, but I can't take them. I can't go. Why not, the physician asked. Doctor, it's this way. You're a physician, a surgeon, in fact. When you operate, you scrub your hands meticulously until you're especially clean. You wouldn't dare operate with dirty hands. I'm a servant of Christ, he said. I deal with precious human souls. I wouldn't dare do my service with a dirty life. And so I believe that that is how us as Christians should look at our daily lives. Being followers of Christ and living a pure life. When something's pure, it means that it's free from anything that contaminates it. It means that it's free from any other substance and it is refined. And for us to live a pure life means that sin no longer determines the choices that we make and that we live our life in a Christ-like manner. Purity is important to God. And we be, when we became born again through faith in Jesus Christ, we begin to desire to live our life in a holy and pure way. Purity begins to define the way that we think, the way that we act towards others, and it also defines the words that we speak. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, it says, God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. This means that God has called us to be pure in all of our activities, in all of our thoughts, in all of our words, and in all of our actions. Because God changes us from the inside out. And when our hearts and our minds are clouded with impurities, we cannot experience the fullness of a relationship with God. But when we live our life in purity of heart and purity of our mind, and in all that we do, we can enjoy a rich and intimate fellowship with God. So let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say about purity. Specifically, moral purity, purity of the heart, and purity of the thought. In Matthew 5, 27 to 30, Jesus said, You have heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your strong hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And so Jesus spoke these words during the Sermon on the Mount. And some people, mostly unbelievers, think that Jesus was literally telling his followers to cut out their eye and cut off their hand. But there's a bigger picture here. Jesus certainly was not telling his early followers who would have been hearing this and us who are reading this to literally cut out their eyes and cut off their hand. What Jesus is saying is, he is saying that if we are going to follow him, we had better be prepared to make exceptional sacrifices in how we live our lives. The point Jesus is making here is that overcoming sin in our lives is more than just a matter of the heart than it is hard work. It's in your heart. We live in a society where the world tries to tell us that it's okay to look, but don't touch. How many of you have heard that saying before? I know I've heard it, and they even sing songs about it. And much of our culture today, sadly, doesn't even believe this. They believe that it's okay not only to look, but it's also okay to touch. And so right before this, we see Jesus say to his followers that if anyone lusts or looks at a woman or a man with lust, they've already committed adultery with them. Those were harsh words for the uh, listeners to hear. So according to Jesus, It isn't only the touching that is wrong, but it's the looking as well. And so here Jesus is taking the prohibition against adultery further than what the Mosaic law was. Because in the Mosaic law, it was the actual act of adultery that was forbidden. And so now Jesus is taking it one step further and saying, that's correct, the act of adultery is forbidden, but don't even look, don't even entertain that. And so with these words, Jesus is stopping the question of how far is too far when it comes to purity. Many times in our life, we try to see how far we can take something. Jesus, knowing the heart of man, was telling them and telling us exactly how far too far is. And any time we think about how far too far is or how close can I get before I have to repent, we start beginning to set ourselves up for failure. So I think instead of us asking how far is too far, we as passionate followers of Christ should be asking, how can I keep my heart and my thoughts pure and honoring to God in my daily life? Jesus is not just speaking to the commandment to not commit adultery. He's showing the motivation behind this commandment. And that motivation is that God wants us to have a pure heart. That's his desire for us. Because God's standards are higher than our standards. 
And he calls us as followers of Christ to a higher standard. He wants us to be Christ-like in all that we do. And he wants us to put him first in our daily lives. In 1 John 3, 3, John writes, And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. John is showing that we as Christians have an active role that we play in overcoming sin. But he's also saying that we're not alone in overcoming our sin. We have Jesus Christ, who is the pure one who we can rely on to help us accomplish the overcoming of our sin. When we read in 1 John 3, 3, we also see that we have a reason to keep ourselves pure because we have an eager expectation, or as Paul put it, a blessed hope, and that is that we eagerly await the return of Jesus. And us believing that Jesus could return at any time teaches us to live in constant anticipation of his return, which should cause us to live a pure lifestyle in all that we do. It makes a big difference in how we live our lives when we live in the reality of Christ's return. Since we'll all be like Christ one day, we should have that desire to live a Christ-like life here on earth. And so we can learn from reading our Bible that sin begins in the heart and in the mind. In Matthew 15, 19, it says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. If you think about it, before we sin, we start thinking about it. And it all starts in our minds. And when we allow the impure thoughts to enter our mind and we begin to entertain them, then they go to our heart. I don't know if you remember the phrase, garbage in is garbage out. And if we think about it that way, what we put in our minds produces what comes out of us. And that's why we should fill our minds with the right things and constantly Fix our eyes on Jesus. Think about your day today and what you've allowed to come into your mind. Think about if what you've allowed to come into your mind today, are they Christ-centered thoughts? Are they thoughts that will help you grow spiritually? Are they thoughts that will help you in your service to God? Or are they thoughts that are not pleasing to Him? Are they thoughts that may lead you away from God? We're all responsible for what we think. And we can control it. I know we see a lot of people say, I can't control what I'm thinking or I can't control what I'm doing. But we can control it with the help of the Holy Spirit. I remember hearing an evangelist ask someone, What if we put everything you thought in the course of one day on a huge movie projector and then we invited all of your friends and your family to sit down and watch it? Would you be embarrassed at what they saw? I'm sure many of us 
would be embarrassed about that. So if we'd be embarrassed at what was in our mind for one day with our family and our friends watching this, shouldn't we also care what God thinks and what God sees? I think we do. I think we have to think about that. And the Bible also tells us to make a covenant with our eyes. Make a covenant with your eyes. I love that. And it's found in Job 31.1. And Job wrote, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. Job is speaking of personal purity while he's defending his conduct. He's given his final defense of his integrity. And then part of his defense here is that he's avoiding lust and he's controlling what his eyes see. And the reason why he's doing this is we see a couple verses down in Job 31.4. He's doing this because he says, Doesn't he, God, see everything that I do and every step that I take? Job understands that God sees everything that we do. There's no way to hide anything from God, including our sin. I kind of think about that when I, when I read about Job knowing that God knows everything and sees everything that he, do, that he does. I think about my kids. And I think about when I'm sitting there sometimes, even as they get older, and they walk over and they have something behind their back and you know that they have something because you can see it sometimes, especially when they're smaller. And you say, what do you have there? Nothing. And you keep asking them. And you know that they have something. And you know that a lot of times when they're hiding it behind their back, it's something that they probably shouldn't have had or probably something that you told them no that they can't have. And so I think about that every time I read that passage of Scripture or every time I read something about how God sees all that we do. And sometimes I can just imagine God saying, Keith, what are you doing there? Keith, what are you thinking? And so if our eyes are looking at things that we should not be looking at and we think we can keep it away from our spouse or our loved ones or our church family or our friends, just like our children, we may be able to do that for a little bit of time, but we will never be able to keep it away from God. Because as Hebrews 4.13 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The idea that God sees everything that we, sh that we do, it should make us strive to have moral purity in our life. Our eyes function as the gate to our mind, and so we must guard ourselves from what we see. Because if something get impure gets past our eyes and into our mind and then into our heart, that's when we begin to see trouble. The Bible is very clear that what we see affects our thought life. And what we think about most, we will eventually act on. This is why Job made that statement that he was making a covenant with his eyes. And that's why we, 
today can make that same promise and covenant. We also see in God's word that God is concerned about our heart. In Matthew 5.8, it says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. For they will see God. Jesus is concerned about our heart. It's not enough just to clean up our act on the outside. Jesus wants to clean us from the inside out. And he wants to change the hearts of sinners just like you and me. And so those who are pure in heart truly love God and truly seek him in all that they do. Because a pure heart has no hidden motives, it has no deception, and it has no dishonesty. Someone with a pure heart has a desire to please God in all that they do. The only way that we can have a pure heart is to give our lives to Jesus and ask him to cleanse our heart of all unrighteousness. David wrote in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In spite of all that we do, God is willing to forgive us of our sins because Jesus paid the penalty that we deserved. And I'm so thankful that no matter what we've done or how dirty we get in our sin, God can create in us a clean heart. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful for that. This promise that the pure heart will see God is not a promise that we will physically see God here on earth right now. It's a promise that those who are pure in heart and those that love and seek the Lord will experience God in a real and intimate way. But there's also a future promise here. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus made the promise that those who are pure in heart will be with him in the heavenly home forever. Jesus said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. One day, my friends, we will have everlasting rest in heaven through Christ. And I'm so thankful that we have that promise. And so because of these promises, we must always guard our hearts no matter what the cost is. In Proverbs 4, 23 to 27, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on a safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. And so when we guard our heart and we look straight ahead and we focus on Jesus, 
we will think right, we will live right, and we will do right. But when we start to take our focus off of Jesus and we start to get sidetracked, as it says here, that's when we start doing our own things in our own way. And so then that's when we begin to begin to think wrong and we start to live wrong and we start to do wrong. And so when we're walking down the path of life and if we veer off course a little bit, it's always good to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and on his word. An example of guarding your heart no matter what the cost is is found in one of the stories is in Genesis 39 with Joseph and Potiphar's wife. I'm sure everybody knows that story, but we'll go through it. We, saw, we see all throughout Joseph's life that God was preparing him. We also see in stories of Joseph that bad things can happen to godly people. But we also see that God did honor Joseph in the decisions that he made. Joseph, as we know, through his life, he went from the pit, from where his brothers threw him, to prison, to the palace. And all along the way, God was with him. And all along the way, Joseph trusted God in all that he had been through, both the good and the bad. And so in Genesis 39, we read that Joseph had been taken to Egypt and he was purchased by Potiphar. And Potiphar was an Egyptian officer and he was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Potiphar was a very powerful man. And it would have been best for Joseph to stay on his good side. And so in Genesis 39.2, we see that it says that the Lord was with Joseph so he succeeded in everything he did as he served his Egyptian master. And that's how Joseph was able to stay on Potiphar's good side is because he trusted in the Lord. And because he trusted in the Lord, he succeeded in everything that he did. We also see that Joseph was a hard worker and he was trustworthy. And because the Lord was with him, Joseph succeeded. And so Potiphar noticed this and he realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything that he did. Isn't it great when non-believers take notice of the Lord working in your life? Isn't it great when you're at work and maybe your boss or a co-worker or somebody who's not a Christian takes notice of your work ethic or that you're a really good employee and that you're a trustworthy, hard-working person? I think that's a great thing that we should always strive for. And so Potiphar, because of this, he made Joseph his personal attendant and he put him in charge of his whole household. But as we read on, we see that Potiphar was not the only one that was taking notice of Joseph. Joseph, as we read, was very handsome. He was a well-built young man. And so since Joseph was around the household of Potiphar all the time, Potiphar's wife began to take notice of him. And she began to start looking lustfully at Joseph. And she's what I like to call the original desperate housewife. 
Joseph, being a man of God, refused her advances. And he even told her that Potiphar trusts him with everything in his entire household. He even told her that Potiphar gave him control of everything in the house. And he held nothing back from him except for her. She didn't care. She just kept every day probably going at him, going at him. And so he told her that he was not going to do such a wicked thing to Potiphar. And Joseph also told her that not only would he be sinning against Potiphar, but more importantly, Joseph knew that he would be sinning greatly against God because Joseph understood that sin is against God. And so throughout this whole story, we see that Joseph guarded his heart and he continued to be a man of God. Joseph was showing us what a godly character looks like. He did suffer consequences from the lies of Potiphar's wife and he was thrown into prison, but he continued to trust in the Lord. And because of this, he was given much more and he was taken out when he was taken out of prison. So here we see that two of these pagans, Potiphar and Mrs. Potiphar, had two different ideas about Joseph. Potiphar saw Joseph as a trustworthy person who loved his God. And Mrs. Potiphar saw Joseph as someone that she could take advantage of. Someone who was young, who she could promise many things to, including satisfaction. But in the end, we see that it was Potiphar who was right about Joseph. He was trustworthy, and he was loyal to both Potiphar and to God. And so when you do the right thing and you honor God and others and you remain pure, even when you're mocked, ridiculed, and even lied about, God will redeem your reputation. We see in this account of Joseph and Potiphar's wife that God was with Joseph all while this was happening. Just as God is with us in all of our life situations, through all that we go through, God is always at work. We also see that God calls his people to live pure, holy lives. Joseph refused Mrs. Potiphar's advances toward him. And even though Joseph's integrity led him to prison, we know that later God honored Joseph's faithfulness in a greater way. Because in the end, Potiphar would become a servant of Joseph. In fact, Joseph became a ruler in Egypt being only second to the king. So no, matter where we, so no matter what we are going through right now, God will continue to be at work in our lives. And so here's a few ways that we can continue to be pure in an un, impure world. I think many times we need to be aware of situations where we may be vulnerable. Joseph was sold to Potiphar, and knowing how powerful Potiphar was, as I said, Joseph didn't want to get on Potiphar's bad side. More importantly, he wanted to serve the Lord and be faithful to him. It would have been easy for Joseph to have given in to the temptation. It would have been easy for him to do that. But the way that he handled that temptation and brought him in front of him as well. Temptation is never from God. 
Some people, and I hear it a lot, some people try to blame God for their sins. But God's not responsible for the things that tempt us. God tests us, but he always sets us, our tests up so that we can pass. And he always makes a way out of our temptation. Satan's the one that tempts us, but always to make us fail. Temptation is never from God. As James 1.13 says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Testing comes from the outside. That's something that we cannot help. But temptation comes from within. It comes from our own desires and our own lusts and our own greed and our own anger. And so that's why we must always guard our hearts and guard our minds. I don't know if you remember the song, Be Careful Little Eyes What You See. But I remember it as a kid and I remember our kids hearing it. And the words say, Oh, be careful little eyes what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. It goes also on to tell us, the children, to be careful what our ears hear and what our tongues say or what our hands do. And then towards the end, it says, be careful, little heart, whom you trust. We have to be careful who we trust. And we need to continually fill our minds with good and pure things. Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. God has equipped us through his word so that we can continually fill our hearts and our minds with pure things. We can do that by taking the time every single day, multiple times a day, to pray, to read and study and meditate on God's Word daily. We can also take Job's advice and we can make a covenant with our eyes. Make a commitment to always pursue moral, personal purity no matter what the cost is. There's many people who trust us not to yield to our temptation. Our children, our spouses, our fellow believers, and even those around us who are not believers. And when we're asked by a coworker to go somewhere where we know that we shouldn't be going, or when we're tempted to watch or listen to something that we know we shouldn't be watching or listening to, or many times people travel for a living, and if you travel for work, when you live a pure life, you can come home knowing that you had a pure heart and knowing that you stayed faithful to your spouse while you were away. Being a police officer, I had many women flirt with me, and I'm grateful to be able to stand up here today and say that I have always been 100% faithful to my wife and to the vows that I made to her 19 years ago in front of family and God. We can pray and we can read our Bible and reach out to trusted friends when you feel temptation coming your way. We can also remove obstacles. If you know that there's some type of problem that you're having with sin, 
Don't be afraid to remove the things or the relationships that are causing you to stumble. Maybe sometimes you have friendships that are not God-centered that you need to push away from. Or if you, you can always use a filter on your phone or your tablet or your iPad or your computer. Also, make sure that you don't put yourself in different situations at work or other places where you're alone with someone from the opposite sex. Get rid of any garbage that's in your life. We can also require accountability. Have an accountability partner. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Find someone in your life that you can trust and that you can trust them so much that you can confide in them. And when you're able to find someone that you can trust and confide in, you'll be able to help each other out in difficult times. It's also important to confide in your spouse because when the two of you can work and live together, you can bring comfort and help each other out during difficult times and that cord will not easily be broken especially when Jesus is at the center of your relationship. Don't keep things from your spouse at all. As it says in verse 12, a triple braided cord is not easily broken. When God is the third cord in all of your relationships, especially in your marriage, it will be stronger than anything without him. We've been doing Sunday mornings here at church outside, and it's been great because we have had great weather, and I love it. But we get here early in the morning in the praise band, and we have to take out all of the, the equipment and all of the drums and guitars, and they have these wooden, heavy pallets that we have to stand on, and we have to bring them out. And I think about that when I was, when I was looking at this Bible verse. I was thinking about how hard it would be for me to lift that thing up, put it on a little rolling thing, and guide it out. And it's so much easier when we have two others or three others that are guiding it and helping us carry it. It would be difficult to do it alone. And so when we work with others, it makes it quick and easy. And so it's the blood of Jesus that can wash away our sins and can cleanse us and make us pure. John Newton is known for being a slave trader. He was also known as a vile sinner. He actually delighted in evil. He was known to many as the great blasphemer. But we know that John Newton came to Christ and he wrote Amazing Grace. But John Newton also wrote the words to another hymn. And it says, In evil I long took delight, unawed by shame or fear till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on the tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near the cross I stood. 
John Newton looked at that cross and that sight made him pure. The cross of Jesus Christ still has that same purifying power today. You can be forgiven of all of your sins and be clean from the inside out if you trust in him today. It is possible to live a pure life in an impure world. The good news of the gospel is that God can make what is impure, pure. And he can make what is unclean, clean. And as in 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Amen.